we're pushing the vaccines, but until we get up to 70, 80%, uh, people are still at risk for developing an infection. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast on COVID-19. I'm Emily Donahue. In this week's episode, the opening of vaccines for children over age 12, the ongoing crisis in India, and the elusive target of herd immunity. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Fred and Bill, why don't we start with what the global data is saying uh, right now uh, about the infection rate, both good news and bad news. Well, David, the good news is that the U.S. seems to be now on a consistent down downward um, curve nationally. Now, there are certain areas of the country that are seeing um, not really so much new waves, but they're they're maybe going up a little bit and certainly not coming down like the rest of the country. But on the overall, we're down 10% in the last week. Um, And that's on top of several weeks of a uh, fairly consistent downward curve. Um, The United Kingdom is down below 2,000 cases per week per day for the entire country, and that that's the equivalent of three cases per hundred thousand per day, continuing to go down. One of the things that's starting to happen in the UK, though, just as is hap- as is happening in the US, is the vaccine uptake is way down. They're running out of people that they can that are willing to get the vaccine without having to be convinced to do it. Um, Europe, which had been having significant problems up until the uh, early part, the late part of March, early April, um, they are also now uh, consistently on a, a downward trend. Now, some countries are a little bit up, some countries a little bit down, much as we are the same with states in the United States. But they are, for the last six weeks, have a downward trend. This is important because Europe is has announced yesterday or the day before yesterday that they intend to reopen the country to international travel um, for people who are vaccinated. The mechanics of how that's going to work is going to be is is not yet been laid out. But they also said that they're going to open to international travel for those who are not fully vaccinated if they're coming from countries with lower disease rates. Again, that hasn't been completely specified what they mean, what they mean by that. Um, in Asia, the, the major economic areas in Asia, including South Korea, Japan, um, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, um, Australia, New Zealand, are all either, either very low or on a downward uh, curve, except Japan. Japan has seen a very steady upward trend over the last eight weeks. Um, there are, some of that's due to new infection variants, but a large part of that is that the vaccination rate in Japan is tiny, like on the order of 1% to 2%. Just for comparison, um, in Israel, 121 doses per 100 people. Japan, 2.5 doses per 100 people. And then lastly, the the biggest problem right now is in South Asia. Um, The reported rates are only, only, I say, 30 cases per 100,000, which is still in the range of uncontrolled widespread community transmission. But the expectation is that that's only a half to a third of the the real number of of cases. Um, Fortunately, they have not seen a reported death rate that is in excess of what's been seen in mo- most of the rest of the world, right around 1% case fatality rate. 
Um, but that's still, there's not, it's not clear that that's an accurate number at all. Um, they are getting their vaccine programs in place, both with AstraZeneca and with a locally developed vaccine, Covaxin, which is a um, uh, inactivated virus vaccine. So that's kind of uh, walking around the world as to as to where things stand this week. Uh, I think things are we are going to see things starting to open up again. Uh, Europe is very positive outlook. The kind of the big concerns are India just in general, and then Japan, especially in light of what's that going to mean for the Olympics in just two months. Bill, thanks, uh, Fred. I know you have been particularly focused on. Uh, the U.S. over this past week or so, and uh, there are about one-third of the population has been vaccinated. The president has set an ambitious target for July 4th of approximately 70%. How, how are you viewing that particular target, and how, how do you think we're going to get there? Well, uh, David, the vaccine is truly a miracle, and it's having uh, uh, incredible benefits I think the UK uh, is the most impressive. Uh, they went from about uh, 700 to 900 cases per million per day down to around 30 per million per day. Um, the re reproductive rate is one way of determining how a country is doing. And that is, if one individual is infected, on average, how many people will they infect? Uh, when you get below one, the epidemic will go away. As Bill mentioned, India is really having an uh, exponential growth, and their reproductive rate is uh, between 1.46 and 1.25. So the cases are going up, and I think there's an underestimate as to the number infected. And I've heard from uh, some fellow, uh, some fellow physicians that come from India, that actually a high percentage of the population is now infected because of the very crowded environments that they're experiencing. Um, when it comes to the UK, the reproductive rate is far below one, and the US now is about 0.8, and that is a reflection of our rapid administration of the vaccine. Um, yes, 30% have both uh, of the vaccines. It's above 40% have gotten in the first shot. And I'm really encouraged. I do think that because the uh, younger people are going to have access to the vaccine, I think uh, at, up to age uh, 16 to 12, I think in the next day or two is supposed to be approved. And then from 2 to, to uh, 11, uh, will take a little more time for approval. But in, in that group, in the, in the ages uh, under uh, 12 to 16, the efficacy, even for mild to moderate disease, is 100, nearly 100%. So they really have a very uh, powerful response to the vaccine. So I do believe we can get to 70% vaccination uh, by July, and that we don't know the exact number required to eliminate the risk. It's probably a little bit higher than uh, 70%, but the number of cases will drop dramatically, and that will allow uh, normal public health procedures, that is, 
case finding, uh, contact tracing, isolation to actually work. When you have huge numbers of cases, uh, contact tracing is, is hopeless. It takes, uh, there are too many cases, it takes too long. And we do know that when a case comes into a family, on average, most people are infected within five days of the index case. So if you're going to do uh, uh, contact tracing, it has to be very, very rapid. Great insights. And uh, you referenced, Fred, the availability or the pending availability of the vaccine for 12 to 15 or 12 to 16-year-olds. I'm sure the audience would be interested in both your and Bill's views, both on the efficacy, but also, of course, on the safety of the vaccine for younger people. I mean, the safety profile through the, the study group has been excellent. There's been no significant major issues noted. And you know, then we extrapolate from, you know, there's been currently, as of yesterday, it was something on the order of 1.1 billion doses of vaccine that have been administered worldwide. And as we know, the only issues that have come up have significantly have been the um, the blood clotting issues. There have been some autoimmune issues, but almost all in patients that have known autoimmune issues, and even then they've been fairly transient. So um, when you extrapolate that to the kids, they, and with, especially with this as the mRNA vaccine, which has had the, the, both of the mRNA vaccines have had very low side effects. And we have been administering this to older adolescents, you know, at the 12 to 16 group um, with the efficacy that as as Fred said, nearly 100%. There's, I don't see any reason to believe that we're not going to, that we would have any issues with it. Um, The big question that people ask, and I get this asked every time I talk to a group is, why do I want to give a vaccine to a child who is, has a very low likelihood of having developing any illness from the disease in the first place? Um, And I have to, what I point out to people is that we're not going to get this really stamped out until we do reach some degree of herd immunity. And we're not going to get there without having the kids immunized also. Yeah, I agree with Bill on that point. It's really important to get the young people because they tend to have less in the way of symptoms. And because they don't have any symptoms, uh, they can unknowingly spread it to older individuals. And we're not going to get 100% vaccination. And I can tell you in our own hospital, we've had a little mini surge of hospitalizations. And many of those are in their late 50s and early 60s who just hadn't gotten around to getting vaccinated. And they got very sick. And it's likely they picked it up from younger people. So I think it's important to achieve herd immunity. If we can do that, then life can truly go back to normal. That's interesting that you've had that experience because my group, we take care of a number of workers across Florida. And uh, we've seen over the previous two weeks, up until this week, we had seen a mini surge in infections, not not significant, severe cases, but infections. That's now coming down again. And when we talk to people, they say that you know, they've seen enough. They're getting immunized. So I think we've, we're seeing people starting to get scared straight. That's really good. Yeah, if you look, the CDC has a very nice map of the rate of spread in different areas, and they code it as uh, uh, red concerning, uh, orange substantive, uh, yellow moderate, and blue uh, minimal. And all of Florida is red and orange. 
Um, it's interesting. Our governor criticized California because of their very rigorous infection control. Well, guess what? California is now yellow. In other words, minimal spread is occurring in California while our, we're uh, red and orange. We're pushing the vaccines, but until we get up to 70, 80%, uh, people are still at risk for developing the infection. The other disappointing uh, thing that occurred in Florida is the governor is now preventing local uh, government administrations from mandating masks. And now there are no limits to gatherings. And I think this is a premature. It, eventually we will get there, but we're not there yet, as indicated by the CDC map. It's interesting, Fred, that you bring that up because a number of sports leagues and um, we'll call it stadiums, public venues, are either requiring proof of vaccination or masks coupled with proof that someone has been tested uh, before admitting them. And as you raise the issue of experimentation, state, state and local experimentation and managing their own risks, something else has come up uh, mostly overseas. And maybe it's too early to, to get both of your opinions around this. But as new variants emerge, there seems to also be some degree of experimentation with uh, what was referred to as mixing and matching vaccines. In other words, are you wedded to getting a second dose of the same vaccine you had? First instance, is it possible to take Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca and combine it with Moderna? Could there be increased efficacy or benefits to that? Clients and listeners were asking me about that uh, this week. Yeah, I, I can comment on that. And Bill, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Um, I actually have reviewed how each of these vaccines was created and what are their targets are. Every vaccine that's released so far, the target is the full-length spike protein. Therefore, each of the vaccines is uh, creating immunity toward that spike protein. So different ways of delivering it may actually be synergistic. In other words, greater than additive. So I think on principle, I think mixing and matching might turn out to be a benefit. And I certainly, I see no reason why you couldn't mix and match. We do require the studies to prove efficacy, but I predict uh, this will show an enhanced efficacy, the mixing and matching of these vaccines. Bill, your thoughts. So, Fred, this is, I mean, this is very much more your area of expertise. My only concern on it was mixing. I was asked this for India and mixing and matching there because it's a uh, inactivated virus vaccine, and one of them, and then the other is a uh, the, the adenovirus vaccine, the AstraZeneca. And I just, with what you said, is the all the adenovirus vaccines and the mRNA vaccines, they all have the final common pathway of the mRNA for to code for the full spike protein. So it would seem like immunologically, just like you said, they would be almost identical. But throwing in there the, the, um, the full inactivated virus as the, the antigen that's being presented, mixing that with something different just seemed to me to be a little bit um, concerning. But again, that's not my area of expertise. No, I, I would agree with that. And I don't have any experience and I haven't found a lot of literature on these, uh, the India vaccine, which 
actually has uh, used a, uh, they've partially inactivated the virus so that it's, it's weakened as a form of immunity. That would not be good, and I agree with you. I would not use that vaccine with all the spike protein vaccines. There's also the purified spike protein, which actually has had considerable benefit and is showing good efficacy in the order of 80, 75 to 80%. So you could combine the purified spike protein, the mRNA, and the adenovirus, and they would all work well, I think, together and synergize. And you're referring to the Novavax, the purified yes, spike Novavax. protein? Yes, Novavax, yep. yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. And I just, I, so I, I've actually, this morning, I was asked that question on a conference call with, with India. And I just said, I don't think, I just, I wouldn't go there yet on mixing and matching the, the, those two different types. But all of the ones that end up in mRNA, yes, that makes sense to me. Great. In a few minutes we have left, um, any updates on the variants that you guys are monitoring and different data that's coming in from around the world? Yeah, if I could just say something first, I just think it's it's very interesting that the variance as a big news issue has almost dropped off the front page over the last two weeks. And I don't know what that what that is. I haven't, you know, the variance has not been the big issue that it was. Although you have to wonder what's going on in Japan, what's going on in India. Does that have does the the rapid spread have to do with the variant? Even if the vaccine is going to be good about it, um, but it's it's just been very quiet on the the both the professional news and the the mass media news on variants for the last two weeks. Yeah, the good news about the B1.1.17, the UK variant, is it is uh, the efficacy of the vaccine is the same as the normal wild type. Uh, the concern is with the South African and the Brazilian variants. And there, uh, there's actually a paper just in the New England Journal showing decreased efficacy uh, with regards to those two uh, for the AstraZeneca and the J&J. Um, so far, the Moderna, it dropped from about 90% to 80%, so not as significant. The UK variant doesn't have a significant conformational change in the spike protein, so the other targets for the antibodies are not hidden. In the case of the Brazilian and the South African, they have what's called the EEC mutation. And that actually, that particular mutation changes the folding of the spike protein and hides some of the antigens that these vaccines were, the antibodies generated in the cell mediated immunity were using as targets. So that's why their efficacy is somewhat reduced. South Africa stopped using and stopped buying the AstraZeneca because its efficacy dropped from about 70% to 22% for mild to moderate disease. And therefore, they are not using that particular vaccine anymore. Fred, Bill, once again, thank you for your insights. Thank you for staying so on top of the issues and the data. More to come next week, I'm sure. And everyone should just stay safe and well. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. 
Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution and get critical information on the COVID-19 pandemic delivered daily. Visit us at RAINnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. 